Well, that was nice. You sounded lovely. So we're going to finish up this morning our When God Hates Religion series. It'll be the last one, but I wanted to give you a preview for what we're going to be starting next week. We're going to start a new series we're calling Do Over, a God, the God of Second Chances. So uh, if you have yourself been in a place where you have needed a new beginning, a second chance, or if you know somebody who's in that, we believe that... Uh, God offers new beginnings and second chances, and so we're going to be looking at some people in Scripture who uh, have been through just that thing, and hopefully it will help those of you who may be in that or will go through that uh, or who have been through that to find some encouragement and some hope. So join us starting next week for Do Over the God of Second Chances. But today we are going to conclude the series we began four weeks ago called When God Hates Religion. It's a we wanted to come up with a title that would sort of get our attention, right? We think, well, what do you mean when God hates religion? Isn't God sort of the one who invented religion? Why would he hate religion? And so uh, the, the majority of this series has been focused in the prophets, those Old Testament prophets, those men that God uh, commissioned to give a message to bring to the people of God because they had fallen away from what God had told them to do, particularly in the area of justice, uh, we, we looked at some of the Old Testament, we looked at the law that God gave Moses when he brought them out of Egypt, and he told them there were basically two main aspects to the Old Testament law. One was proper worship, how they were to offer sacrifices and all of the things that were involved in their worship and their assemblies, and the other aspect was how they were to treat each other as a community, and their, how they were to have a concern for justice, which was uh, a, a concern for equality and fairness with a particular concern for those who were vulnerable and marginalized, making sure that the poor and women and um, strangers and foreigners or immigrants and children, all of these people that were, that were at risk for being marginalized, there was particular concern for making sure that there would be no oppression in the land. And as, as time went on, as I showed you, they sort of fell away from this. And, and sometimes they fell away by worshiping other gods. They stopped worshiping in the way that God wanted them to worship, but, but more often than that, it seems, they fell away by continuing proper worship practice, but neglecting justice and equality and fairness, and by allowing oppression to reign free in their lands. And so one of the things we looked at is we looked at Isaiah and Jeremiah and some of these other prophets, that, that when God's people forsook justice, when they neglected justice and concern for the vulnerable, uh, that God had no regard for their religious worship. As a matter of fact, he said he hated it. Uh, when they were going about their regular religious worship, but they were neglecting the people in their communities who were being oppressed, God said that their religion stunk to him, right? It was, it was, a, it was a stinky smell instead of what was supposed to be a sweet-smelling savor. So that's what we've been looking at for the past three weeks, and we've been focusing our time in the Old Testament prophets. Uh, but today, as we close it out, we're going to take a brief look at Jesus and some New Testament passages just so, to illustrate that this isn't particularly an Old Testament concern, right? Because we're followers of Jesus. We're not necessarily, we're not ancient Jews. Uh, we still regard those scriptures very highly because they were the scriptures of Jesus. And Jesus said they pointed to him. But we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus. And so what I wanted to do today was to really emphasize that, that the same concern for justice and, and care that was present in the prophets was also present in Jesus. And the same... Um, 
disregard for religion when it was not associated with justice bothered Jesus just as much as it did uh, God in the Old Testament and the prophets that he commissioned. Um, so we're going to start out in Mark chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll put the text up on screen as usual. But we're going to jump in. We're going to take a peek at Jesus as he interacts with some religious people in a synagogue. Uh, this is... Uh, you know, hundreds of years after the prophets, but Jesus, as we're going to see, is going to bring up very similar concerns. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 1, here's what Mark tells us. Mark, uh, we believe, was the, um, he was the one who went around with Peter, uh, as Peter was one of Jesus' uh, original apostles, one of Jesus' original disciples. And Peter, we believe, uh, had Mark as a translator. Mark is the one who eventually wrote down sort of Peter's memoirs. And so what we have in the Gospel of Mark are the memoirs of Peter who walked with Jesus. So here's what Mark tells us about this event in Jesus' life. It says, Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Uh, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. So here's the Sabbath, right? Here's a concept that if we're, you know, living in the 21st century, we don't use the word Sabbath all that, op- all that often. But in ancient Judaism, the concept of Sabbath was a really big deal. If you go back to the Old Testament law, you see that God, he, when God created the, the heavens and the earth, we learn in Genesis, he rested on the seventh day, and that became the foundation. God wanted his people to have a day of rest. He wanted to make sure that they wouldn't get caught up in working every single day. He wanted to make sure they had a time to rest and to worship and to be with one another. And so he codified the Sabbath into the law for them. And he told them, you're not supposed to work. And there were some pretty strict punishments if they broke the Sabbath, right? The Sabbath, it's even in the Ten Commandments, right? That, that list of ten things. The Sabbath is one of the things that they're supposed to honor and keep holy. And so what we see here is Jesus is going into a synagogue on the Sabbath. Their Sabbath was Saturday. Um, We worship on Sunday, but it would have been sort of like their church service. So Jesus goes into a a synagogue on the Sabbath, and there's somebody there who has has a a deformed, a withered hand. Um, Now, there were some there who were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Um, And the way they were trying to do this was they were going to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath, because the one thing you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath is work. And so if Jesus heals this person, then Jesus is, in a sense, working on the Sabbath. Um, So the Sabbath was very important. It was a very important religious practice in ancient Judaism. Keeping the Sabbath was something that good and faithful Jews were supposed to do. It was doing religion right to keep the Sabbath in ancient Judaism. And here comes Jesus, and we're going to see what he's going to do for this man with a withered hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Here's what he does. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. The reason they remained silent was because they were looking for a reason to accuse him. And Jesus is now going to expose their hypocrisy. They pretended to care about the things of God. They pretended to think that uh, the Sabbath was very important to them. But Jesus is about to expose for them their religious hypocrisy. Mark tells us that Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Now, why would Jesus be angry 
at people who were just doing what their scriptures told them to do. Why would Jesus be angry at people who are trying to honor the Sabbath? Isn't that what their scriptures told them to do? Yes. But what Jesus is doing is he's showing them, just like the prophets of old did, that their hearts were in the wrong place. That just because they were trying to keep religious practice, they were missing God's original intent. So, looking round about them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. That seems a little harsh, right? But in the Old Testament scriptures, there were severe consequences for breaking the Sabbath. But what Jesus does here is he demonstrates that their religious concern, apart from taking care of people in need, was worthless. Just like the prophets of old. The very same emphasis on caring for people in need over and above religious ritual, Jesus carries forth from the prophets into his teaching in the new covenant. Jesus gets just as angry at the outward form of religion that neglects care for the most vulnerable and needy and oppressed. And he was angry. They were misusing religion as an excuse to withhold love, compassion, and aid for people in need. They were misusing religion as an excuse to to not help those in need. And this made Jesus angry. Even though they were keeping religious ritual, when they misused religion to withhold help and aid from those who needed it, it made Jesus very angry. We're going to look at another example. Uh, This is from Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. This comes from actually a very long list of, of Jesus just very angry at the religious leaders of his day. Um, I'm just going to pull out one particular verse, but if you go back and you read all of Matthew chapter 23, uh, you're going to see Jesus is, uh, it's a series of woes. He says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, to these religious leaders. And the woes uh, were, it was basically what they would use in a funerary lament, right? If, if somebody died or was going to die, there would be woe. Jesus is, basically, he's, he's speaking a, a funeral message to their dead Empty religion. That's what's going on here. It's very, very serious. Um, it's also what the prophets would use, what Jesus would use to announce impending destruction. Right? When, when uh, a group of people failed to keep God's commandments, he would send a prophet and they would speak woe over them, basically announcing that they were going to experience judgment coming soon. This is what Jesus is doing here to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, You give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin. These guys were devoted, right? Talk about like religious devotion. Imagine you go to the grocery store, you buy some cinnamon, and because you're so concerned about your religious devotion, you come here and we pass the plates on Sunday morning and you scrape off 10% of your cinnamon into the offering plate, making sure that God gets it. I mean, that's how... 
That's how devoted these guys were to their outward religious practice. Right? And they did this because in their scriptures, their scriptures told them that they were supposed to tithe on all of their increase. That they were supposed to give 10% of, of you know, they, they didn't, most of them didn't like work and get money like we did. They raised crops and had animals and all of that. And, and when they had new crops, new animals, they were supposed to offer a tenth of it back to God as a demonstration of trust, knowing that he was the one who was providing for them. And so these guys were so devoted, they were so meticulous in their religious practice, they were even tithing on their spices, right? So here's a little salt, here's a little pepper in the offering plate, making sure that God gets 10% even of the spices. This is how religiously scrupulous they were. Why in the world would that bring a woe, right? They wanted to honor God with everything that they had. Doesn't that seem like a good thing, right? Doesn't it seem like a good thing that they're that religiously devoted to making sure that God gets a tenth even of their spices? Why in the world would Jesus speak a woe, speak a word of a funeral over what they were doing? It's a great question. Here's what he says. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Everybody say more important. More important. Just as important? No. Equally important? No. More important. Wait, are you saying that some aspects of the Bible are more important than other aspects of the Bible? Yes. 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 Are you saying that that there are certain things that God cares about more than other things? Yes. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He says, you have done these things, right? You've given your tithes, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Well, what are those more important matters? Great question. He says justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus, coming along, the perfect interpreter of the law, right? The Son of God, the one who John tells us makes known God to us in a way that we have never understood God before, comes and he tells us that tithing is good. But there are things that are more important than that. Your religious devotion is good, but there are things that are more important than that. And those things are justice and mercy and faithfulness. These, he says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now, we've talked a lot about justice in this series. And I've told you, and I'll tell you again, justice was a concern for equity and fairness with a particular concern for those who were vulnerable and oppressed. It was caring for the needy. I saw a great, uh, I'm on Twitter, and I saw a great tweet this week where it says, biblical justice is more about caring for those in need than it is about punishing those who do wrong. And that's very true. Biblical justice at its heart is about caring for those in need, providing for those in need, watching out for the vulnerable, those groups of people that are particularly prone to being oppressed by the powerful. This, Jesus says, is more important, more important, more important, how important? More important than proper religious practice. 
Caring for those in need. Mercy, by the way, is another word for compassion. It's basically the same thing. It's, it's, it's compassion for those in need. These things, Jesus says, are more important than proper religious practice. Now, Jesus says you should have done the latter without neglecting the former. Now, what he's saying is, that's fine. If you want to have religious practice, that's good. You should still do that, right? He's not saying, stop going to synagogue, stop tithing on all of this, stop singing your songs, stop praying, stop going to the temple. He's not saying, stop doing that. He's just saying, if you're doing all of that, but you're neglecting justice and mercy and faithfulness, then you're completely missing the point because these things are more important to God. As a matter of fact, I believe there's a case that can be made that God allowed people to have their religious practice for their benefit as long as they did the things that mattered most to God, right? In other words, God never needed sacrifice. Believe it or not, God didn't need their spices, right? It's not like God was cooking his food with their spices, right? God didn't need their animal sacrifices, He allowed them to engage in that practice so that they could feel connected to him in a special way. He wanted them to experience community with one another, so he allowed them to have these these rituals and these assemblies and these religious practices. But mostly those were for their own benefit, so that they could experience connection with God. What God really cared about, what the prophets, what Moses shows us back in in the law, what the prophets show us in their corrected correction of the the Israelites centuries later, and what Jesus again shows us a little bit later is that what God really cares about most is taking care of people. Taking care of people. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. Caring for the most vulnerable among them. God says, if you do those things, then sure, go ahead. And then, then your offerings and your sacrifices and your worship, then I'll listen to it and I'll hear your prayers and I'll hear your songs and I'll bless all of that. But if you want to do all of that while neglecting these things, then I'm not going to pay attention to any of this either because these things, justice and mercy and faithfulness, are more important. It doesn't mean that we stop going to church. It doesn't mean that we stop giving our tithes. It doesn't mean that we stop singing songs and praying and reading our scripture and all of the things that we, we love to do. I, I, I love the songs that we sing here. I love being gathered together with you on Sunday mornings and all of that. But if, if all we're doing is this and we're neglecting this, then the prophets and Jesus tell us that we're missing the point. Now, we could go through the Gospels and, and we could have an entire, you know, three, four month long series just on Jesus giving us these examples. There are example after example after example. But I went long last week, so I'm not going to do that this week, okay? But if you, if you doubt me, go back and read the Gospel of Mark or read the Gospel of Matthew or read the Gospel of Luke and look for Jesus' concern for justice and his anger at outward show of religion. At one point, he looks at, the, uh, he looks at the leaders, the religious leaders of his day, and he calls them whitewashed tombs. Right? He says, you look nice on the outside with all of your religious ritual, but on the inside you are full of death. And these were the most scrupulous church attenders, tithers, prayers that you've ever seen. Right? They looked the most religious, but because they had neglected justice and mercy 
and care for the vulnerable, Jesus said that was full of death on the inside. So I'm going to give you the same bottom line I've given you the last three weeks because I really want this to sink in. God hates religion when it's not accompanied by justice. God hates religion when it's not accompanied by justice. All of our religious show, coming here on Sundays and and reading our Bible through the week and and praying and tithing and singing and, and, and all of the things that we do and the religious artwork on our walls and the religious bumper stickers we put on our cards, if, if, if that's all that our religion is and it's not accompanied by real, tangible justice and compassion for those in need, fighting for the poor and, and uh, the oppressed and, and the immigrants and the strangers and the foreigners, if it's not accompanied by, by real, tangible justice, then God hates it. It's empty and it's worthless and it stinks. Now, I've stated this in the negative for the last three weeks because I really wanted to make a point. Right? I, I, I called it God hates religion for a reason because I really wanted this point to stick. Uh, but now as we close, I want to see if we can put sort of a positive spin on this, right? It's been, it's been kind of a heavy series, right, as, we, as we, we've read through the prophets, and the prophets had some pretty, pretty negative things to say. Uh, and Jesus had some pretty harsh things to say. But I want to see if there's a positive spin we can put on this as we close out. So it, it is, it, instead of focusing on, okay, what is the religion that God hates? Is there a kind of religion that God likes? Is there a kind of a religion that God loves? Is there a kind of religion that God finds acceptable in his sight? Thank you for asking that question. It's a great question. Here's what James, the brother of Jesus, tells us in his letter. James says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the religion that God accepts. This is the religion that God loves. The the religion that means the most to God is not necessarily what happens here on Sundays. Which, if we're doing everything right, I think pleases God. I think the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray and and the, the messages that we do, I think they're pleasing to God. If it's accompanied the rest of the week by taking care of those in need. The religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, what James, and by the way, this is Jesus' little brother, right? And every time I go through the, gospel of, uh, the, the epistle of James, I, I tell you the same thing, right? It, what would it take to convince you that Jesus was the Son of God, that, or that your brother was the Son of God, Right? James becomes a leader in the early church. While in Jesus' early life, James didn't believe in him. As a matter of fact, James and the rest of his family thought that Jesus was crazy while Jesus was walking around. And then something happened, and all of a sudden, James is now the leader of the movement his big brother began. What would it take to convince you that your big brother was the son of God? Nothing short of resurrection, I think. And so after the resurrection, James comes around, and he, he is now explaining to followers of Jesus the kind of religion that pleases God, and this is, it, he boils it down. He says, true religion boils down to love for neighbor. True religion boils down to love for neighbor. We already saw this in Jesus' life and ministry, right? He took the entire Old Testament law, 
600 or so commandments, and he boiled them down to two. Love God and love your neighbor. But by the end of his life, before his crucifixion, he had gone from two down to one. He said, by this, all people will know you're my disciples if you what? Love one another. And so what we see is that Jesus bringing us along, showing us what God is really like, shows us that our love for God is measured not by our church attendance. Our love for God is measured not by how much we tithe or not by how many religious posters we have on our wall or religious t-shirts we wear, bumper stickers, not how many Bible verses we have memorized. All of these things are okay. But our love for God is measured by our love for our neighbor. And Jesus teaches us, by the way, that our neighbor is not confined to those who live next to us or look like us or think like us or believe like us. Our, our, our neighbor, by the way, doesn't stop at our border. right? Jesus teaches us that our neighbor is every single human being, that we ought to have the same love for every single human being that we have for our own family. That we should extend the same kind of compassion and justice and mercy for every single human being that we would for those who look and think and believe like us. And that concern for the vulnerable and the oppressed is chief among God's concerns and chief among God's plan for his people. True religion is to look after, to care for the orphans and the widows. This is, this is a figure of speech to include all vulnerable, needy people. To care for those. That's the true kind of religion that God accepts. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, it, in Christians, especially in holiness traditions like Church of God is, we often think of being polluted by the world as, as being involved in things like, you know, uh, you know, sex and drinking and swearing and all these little individual things. We think that being uh, polluted by the world is like somebody who cusses occasionally or, or drinks or all these things. But if we look at what Scripture really means by the world, we see systems of oppression. In the world, there is the rich and the poor. There's the powerful and the weak. And the powerful exploit the weak. This is the way of the world. In the way of Christianity, in the way of Jesus, we see everybody is on the same playing field. Everybody has equal worth in the eyes of God. And as a matter of fact, it's those who are vulnerable. It's the weak that Jesus and, and, and the prophets, they all show us that these are the people that God has special extra concern for. And so to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world is more than just not cussing. And it's more than just, you know, not doing, you know, you know what, what's the line? We don't drink or dance or smoke and go with girls who do or something like that, right? Uh, that, that old holiness tradition thing. That's not what James is talking about by being polluted by the world. What he's talking about is, is, is we don't... We don't mirror the systems of the world. We don't let the same structural injustice exist in the church that exists in the world. We don't look down on somebody just because they look different or think different or don't have what we do. We don't mistreat somebody just because they live on the other side of an imaginary line. Or talk like us. That's right. We keep ourselves from being polluted by the world by not letting the world's system of thought, the 
powerful and the weak, the haves and the have-nots, the Americans and everybody else. We don't let those systems of thought pollute the way that we think. We look at every other human being through the eyes of God. And we see that through the eyes of God that every human being is of inestimable worth in his sight because he sent his son to die for all of them. And he has called us then as the people of God to be his instrument in bringing real tangible justice and mercy into their lives. This is the religion that God accepts. If what we do in here on Sundays isn't making us look after those in need in our communities, the prophets and Jesus and James are going to tell us that we're just wasting our time. But if gathering together as the body of Christ inspires and equips us to then go out the rest of the week and be agents of healing and agents of reconciliation and agents of justice in our community, then what we do here is pleasing in God's sight. But this alone is not enough. God hates religion when it's not accompanied by justice, and God loves religion when it's looking after those in need and those who are vulnerable. So my prayer is that each of us as individual followers of Jesus and us as a community of Jesus followers takes this to heart, that we really take to heart this idea that the kind of religion that God loves happens more on the outside during the week than it does here on Sunday mornings. That what we do here on Sunday mornings sends us out and equips us and makes us ready and inspires us to be the true hands and feet of Jesus to those we come in contact with on a daily basis. So I'm going to sing a song and... <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not going to sing a song. I'm going to pray. And then Mandy's going to sing a song. Uh, and it's a song that is, I think, relates very well to, uh, and, and will close out this, this series very nicely. So, yeah, uh, I saw some of you, like, starting to get up and run when I said that. So I wanted to, yeah, that's not going to happen. Uh. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Lord, this has been, uh, in some ways, a challenging series. We've looked at some, some fairly heavy passages in your word uh, we have seen you say some things that um, might push some of our buttons. Uh, but God, we thank you for recording these things in Scripture. We thank you for revealing to us what your heart really is so that we can live in a way that pleases you. Father, help us to be a community of people who are concerned about the things that you are. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Help us to see those in need the way that you do. Give us hearts of compassion. Make us agents of justice and reconciliation in our community. Father, may the, the words that we speak here and the, and the songs that we sing here, may they, may they raise us up and inspire us to go out and love our neighbor with real, tangible love. Father, as your son taught us to pray, we pray that your kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven and that we could be a community that, that pictures that for the world. Help show us, God, how to really love our neighbor 
Help, us, help show us how to look out for the poor and the downtrodden and the vulnerable and the marginalized. Help us be agents of hope, offering real, tangible justice in our community. Help us, God, to do something. In Jesus' name, amen.